Welcome to Innovation Files. I'm Rob Atkinson, founder and president of the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. We're a DC-based think tank that works on technology policy. And I'm Jackie Wisman. I head development at ITIF, which I'm proud to say is the world's top-ranked think tank for science and technology policy. And this podcast is about the kinds of issues we cover at ITIF, from the broad economics of innovation to specific policy and regulatory questions about new technologies. And today we're going to talk about a newish technology, but a really cool one, and that's 5G, or fifth generation mobile network. There's really no one better to talk about this subject than our guest. Susie Armstrong is Senior Vice President for Engineering at Qualcomm. She was a pioneer in bringing internet protocols to the cellular industry, resulting in the first web surfing on a cellular phone in 1997. In addition to her work on Qualcomm's inventions and new technologies, she has worked extensively with base station makers, carriers, phone, and device makers around the world to bring those technologies to market. Welcome, Susie. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Rob. It's a, an honor to be here on the on the podcast, and I'm looking forward to, to, to talking about one of my favorite topics, which is 5G. Well, tell us a little bit about Qualcomm. Are you the longest-serving employee? I'm not the longest serving employee, probably by a long shot, although I've been here um, almost 28 years. I joined when we were working on CDMA, the new cellular technology that uh, we really struggled to show the world that it worked and that it uh, made tremendous sense. And from there, you know, I worked in the software group. I led the software team did the early work on the internet protocols, and I led the group of engineers that integrates our products worldwide into customer devices. And then in 2015, I joined the policy group, bringing that engineering focus to the policy work. That's why we like you so much, because you can talk about both. It's rare. (laughs) Um, What's Qualcomm's role in 5G? Qualcomm's role in 5G Everybody says, you know, has their posters up that uh, they're they're instrumental in in 5G, and to a large extent, that is that is true. You have to to deploy any sort of new technology. You've got to have the researchers, you've got to have the developers, you've got to have the semiconductor people that bring that alive, and you've got to have you know the carriers and such to deploy it. You've got to have the use cases. But Qualcomm's role in 5G was largely in doing that probably five to 10 years worth of upfront research and advanced development that yields the standards for 5G, the wireless standards for 5G, and then bringing that innovation to life and those standards to life in the form of the semiconductors that drive 5G. So without Qualcomm, you don't really have the ability to to deploy 5G because you don't really have 5G without that R&D that goes into it. So yeah, I certainly read a lot about 5G. We've written a lot about 5G at ITF. But I want to ask a, a really simple question, which is actually one I, I don't know the answer to. How much of the development from four to five, how much of that was, in sort of rough percentage terms, was really in, in the chip development? In other words, 5G is, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, is so much better. It's faster, low latency, you know, all these great things about it. Is that largely just because the chips have gotten so much better, or is there a lot more to it, like software development and other things? There's a tremendous amount more to it, even beyond um, the semiconductors. And I I would bring you back to that upfront R&D and taking those ideas and working with global standards organizations to 
standardize them. When you have any sort of a communications technology, you know, one side has to talk to the other. So what my husband says Susie loves to do is make bits go from here to there. And so you've got standards that that designate that. So those those standards in turn, you know, are just a, a stack of paper, just a stack of PDFs, unless you bring them to life in a in a semiconductor and the software that drives it. So it's it's kind of, you you can't really have one without the the other. Now certainly the advances in semiconductor development have been really instrumental in utilizing 5G. You know, in your phone, you need you need a very small, very power efficient device to be able to you know have the battery life that you have and to drive these these kinds of things. But the five 5G itself is really a set of innovations, a set of standards and brought to life by and commercialized in semiconductors. And then the, probably the 10 million, I, last I checked, there were 10 million lines of code in one of our software builds that actually drive that semiconductor. Wow, that's amazing. Maybe for listeners, you could just sort of explain why should I get a 5G phone compared to a 4G? What What is 5G going to give people? And not so much people, but the overall wireless ecosystem compared to 4? Well, you know, from a, from a consumer point of view, getting a 5G phone, you know, gives you better, stronger, faster. It gives you more capacity. Things download noticeably faster, et, et cetera. But what we are really excited about and what the industry is excited about and what I think, you know, our, our audience should be excited about is what these innovations bring to a b- beyond consumer devices, what they bring to, you know, smart factories and healthcare and the whole digital transformation. Because it's not until, for example, it wasn't until 4G where you had enough data speeds and you had position location, those two things came together, you know, and created ride share and, you know, interactive maps and such. And in turn, 5G, beyond way beyond your phone, with that kind of capacity, that kind of response time, and that kind of download speeds are instrumental in things like smart factories and, uh, you know, real-time autom- automotive responses, smart intersections where, you know, you can tell in real time that a, it's a kid that ran into the street rather than a ball rolling in the street. So, so while, you know... The 5G phones are are fun because you can download things very quickly. I think the real promise of 5G and 6G beyond it is the work on other parts of the digital transformation in in these other industries that we don't normally think of as, you know, being, we think of our phones, right? We think of what these technologies can do for people rather than what they can do for connecting other devices and other industries. Yeah, so this is sort of what people call M to M, a machine to machine, and the the reason for that is partly because of low latencies. And what and what latency is is that between the the time a bit travels and you want it to be, if we had high latency here, you would have a hard time hearing me because I I wouldn't quite come across that, that there'd be gaps. So low latency, but then also isn't it also that just you can have just many, many more cells talking to one another, many more devices, sorry, say devices talking with another. Isn't that part of it as well? It's a huge part of it. And that's a part of every generation of um, cell phone technology that, you know, the consumer doesn't really see is spectrum is a fixed resource. 
And uh, there's only so much spectrum available in the world. And some of it is not perfectly, you know, suited for things like cellular communications. And so one of the one of the advances in 5G and one of the things that we are very proud of at Qualcomm is you being able to utilize uh, millimeter wave bands of spectrum that normally weren't considered optimal for cellular communications. And, you know, with enough uh, smart engineers and researchers, uh, you can come up with techniques that, you know, that can actually utilize things like millimeter wave. And then you can expand, you know, how, how many bits, if you will, you can squeeze into that, that spectrum. And so that's been a huge part of the, the, uh, the work on, on 5G is just that, what we call capacity is, you know, if you're going to have better, stronger, faster, lower latency, you've got to figure out ways to squeeze, as I say, squeeze more bits into this limited resource called spectrum. What's one of the most exciting or maybe the most exciting development you see from 5G, like smart factories, smart cities, just kind of beyond the personal cell phone? For me personally, it's probably, you know, because I haven't spent much time in factories. <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's probably the smart cities or, or or perhaps more specifically smart communities. When I look at some of the safety applications that can come out of 5G, you know, I just gave an example of, you know, 5G and combined with AI, um, our, our chips, for example, run AI processors right on the chip. Things like being able to have smart intersections that can discern, you know, what what is rolling out in front of you, but also applying that uh, to, um, for example, being able to have crop dusters sense and and uh, you know tractors sense when a, a crop needs fertilizer and or or drones. And I think there's a lot of drone use right now in fire detection as well. So having five G transform those kinds of industries really excites me in terms of the safety that it can provide because, you know, there's a lot of discussion, rightfully so, on is the whole digital transformation going to put us all out of a job? But I look at it more of the digital transformation in 5G, putting us out of jobs that are that are really dangerous. Firefighters going in and, you know, I'm in California and uh, the West Coast has a terrible wildfire problem. And so some of these techniques and these technologies applied to situations, sensing situations where you don't need to then send in uh, human beings into a, a dicey situation, I think is really exciting. Yeah, we, we're much more, I guess, optimistic about the employment situation than some of the pessimists are. We've gone through much bigger transformations. In the, I mean, going from agriculture to manufacturing, it all worked out. So we don't believe that there really be problems, especially if government helps people make transitions. But you mentioned the transportation one, and it, it really reminds me every, you know, I don't think people, because, you know, we've frankly all grown up in a world that, to use a lack of a better term, is a stupid world. In other words, it just is, it is what, we don't know what's going on. You know, we don't know how many people uh, got sick yesterday. We, you know, we set traffic lights in a certain thing. We, we don't know air pollution in certain areas. We, we just really don't know a lot. And to me, 5G combined with sensors really allows the world to come to life in a way. And it always drives me crazy when when I drive a car, if I'm in my car, which I don't do very much because I ride my bike, but late at night and I'm stopped at a stoplight, there's no cars coming in any direction. 
Like, why can't this traffic light be smart? I'm here, no one else, turn green. <laughs> and there, I think there are so many examples like that that we just take for granted because they've always been that way. That it seems to me that's a big part of the promise is just, just make things in, more intelligent, easier for people to live with. Yeah, complete, completely agree. And that's what's exciting as well. It's not that, you know, it's going to take jobs or ban you from riding your bicycle. It's going to make riding your bicycle easier and more efficient, which has a tremendous a number of, you know, side benefits in terms of environmental, et cetera. I love the fact you ride your bicycle. You know, one of the things they're using wireless for in Denmark, I believe, I think it's in Copenhagen, one city over there, the bicycles have, have sensors on the runner and they trigger the lights. So they give a little bit of favoritism to the bicycles, a little bit of nudge. Hey, if you're riding your bike, you're going to have a better experience with your traffic lights. You'll get to work faster. You know, you can say you all like that or I don't like that. But if you like bikes and want people on, that's a pretty cool technology. Yeah. And I think that's a wonderful point. And I think, you know, people will say, well, we've got that now. You know, what's what's 5G going to be added add, and then 6G beyond that? But I think you you get those kinds of things at scale. You get them at scale and you get them really intelligent. Um, the other thing that we're really excited about is this kind of juxtaposition of wireless technologies and artificial intelligence, because then that sensor in Denmark that's turning the, the lights can actually determine that you're a bicycle and not, you know, a dog that ran in into the road. And I think that's that's pretty exciting. And, you know, going back over my my very long career in this industry, in many ways, you build it and they will come. You know, Qualcomm and these companies who do, the, do this kind of upfront research, even the first, you know, connecting the, your phone to the internet, we thought it was pretty cool, but we weren't sure, you know, what the heck you were going to do with that. We surfed the net on this little tiny one inch in diameter uh, screen. And, um, but, you know, you build it and it will come. Cell assisted GPS, you know, for position location, uh, the, this kind of capacity, this kind of latency, this kind of download speeds. And, you know, there's so many clever people out there when given that kind of capacity, they come and they create things that you can never imagine, you know, when you're, we're sitting here right now talking about this technology. So I'm I'm not only really excited about smart cities and safety and such, I'm really excited about what, what are people going to do with this that I haven't even thought of. You know, there's a great line, I can't remember who said it, but it was, we overestimate the promise of technology in the short run and we underestimate it in the long run. And I think that to me is pretty true. We're often like, oh, you know, 5G is going to be, it takes a while. You got to develop the platform. You got to, people got to get used to it. They got to write things. It takes longer than people think. But because this is a platform that Qualcomm is part of that ecosystem with Apple and Samsung and everybody else, it does become exactly as you said, something where people just like, wow, I'm going to, I'm going to try this thing. I never thought of it. And it, so you can't even predict what all the, all the different benefits are going to be. Yeah. And the other thing that, you know, just to bring it to a personal level that I love about 5G and these technologies and working on them, I did a number of years ago, I did a 101 seconds of what it's like to launch a device. And, and one thing I love is engineering and 5G, these things become the great pulling together of, of all these great minds. You know, it doesn't matter if you're Einstein, one person cannot do what we we are seeing today with 5G. You know, you you were surprised when I mentioned the 10 million lines of code 
that drive our semiconductors. When you think of the fact that the you know those software engineers have to get together with the hardware engineers, have to get together with the people at the fab who is actually manufacturing that semiconductor, who are implementing the standards that were laid out by all these researchers, and then you pull in the infrastructure manufacturers. So you know, tens of thousands of people all have to coordinate to come together to, you know, to make a, a call or to, to call Uber or make a call or send data on a, on a phone. And that's a, that's a staggering feat of human cooperation. I think that's just wonderful and makes me feel like there's hope for the world. <laughs> Whenever I talk to engineers, I, I feel like there's hope for the world. And I'm serious about that. I, I really, I, you know, my son's a computer scientist. And when I talk to him, I feel like there's hope for the world. One, I can't resist this one dig and then uh, turn over to Jackie, but we hear a lot now in Washington, particularly among some of the progressives that, you know, big companies can't innovate. It's only the small companies. But what you talked about is a lot of big companies getting together, whether they're equipment makers, whether they're chip makers, whether they're what you're doing, which is chips and software and, and standards. It's a big, big challenge of coordination. You have to have companies with real technical capabilities and scale. And I'm not saying that small companies don't play a role in that, but Big companies play a critical role in this whole development. I think that's a really astute point. And um, Qualcomm is, when the, when I started with Qualcomm, they were a small company. And we are a very large company now. But um, we act, and it's not just Qualcomm. Um, I think there's so much innovation that happens in, in big companies. And, and I love startups. And I love small companies. They bring wonderful ideas. But if you look at what startups, why they usually are anxious to get uh, acquired is it takes it takes thousands tens of thousands of people to bring this technology to to develop it at scale and to commercialize and and bring it at you know this is it, this kind of technology is never something that can be done by you know one two three four five people and and that's what a lot of wonderful startups are are aware of and so in some ways you know when a startup gets acquired people tend to make a lot of money. So that's one motivation. But if you talk to these founders, they love getting acquired by a company that has scale to take those ideas all the way to use usability, because that takes, that takes a lot of resources, that takes a lot of coordination, and that takes, that takes frankly, a lot of money. That's a great point because you hear there's a bill in the in in the Senate now that we've commented on, which would essentially make it almost impossible for big technology companies to acquire startups. And I use the example in uh, in Google where there was a, a little company, a startup company that figured out how to take the NASA maps and be able to go down and have the map expand. And it was a real innovation. And they thought it would take them 20 years to map every street in America and it would cost $200 a year. They happened to be located down the block from Sergey Brin, and they had lunch with him, the CEO of Google, the founder. And Google said, yeah, we'll acquire you. And what, two years later, every street was mapped in the U.S. for free. So they looked at that. This is, a, this is to take our incredible innovation and scale it widely, cheaply, effectively. And then the, the owners, they made a lot of money and they went on and started another company. I think that's a really good example. And I, I, I think, you know, policymakers need to be very, very cognizant of those kinds of facts. P people in policy are wonderful. They're trying to do the right thing to make the U.S. keep its leadership edge. 
and continue to be innovative. But there are un- unintended consequences to some of these policies that you go into without looking carefully enough at the at the implications. And acquiring a small business and the bills that look at that, uh, you just hope that they talk to small businesses and <laughs> small technology businesses before they write that bill. Because um, my bet is you take any small technology business and they are very anxious in order to get their technology to market and to get it deployed at scale, they are probably very anxious to be acquired. And, and it's, and it's not, you know, a get rich quick kind of thing, you know, startups, those people are so passionate about that technology and to be able to, again, they want to see it. They want to see it in people's hands or in, in smart cities or in devices or in cars. And, um, I really hope that we can do something to make sure that that happens. Otherwise, it dies on the vine. How much is the U.S. rollout of 5G limited by supply chain issues? So I'd say the 5G rollout itself, um, because it's it's driven by, you know, the availability of, of cellular infrastructure, not necessarily huge volumes of semiconductors. I don't think it's directly been affected itself. Now, certainly the world has seen issues with supply chain in semiconductors for automobiles, also cell phones, other kinds of of devices. Some of that is because of COVID and lack of forecasting and the fact that we're all doing work from home and schooling from home and uh, utilizing these devices um, more. And some of it, it comes from looking ahead to the digital transformation. So forecasting for semiconductor supply is a very complex multi-year situation. You're launching a chip, for example, and you want to get it manufactured. That's like an 18-month process. And so forecasting takes a long time and you have to you have to look way far in advance at what your needs are. And so I think that's where COVID really hit the auto industry and the cell phone industry. Semiconductor supply is not necessarily a ma- major component in the actual deployment of 5G, or at least I haven't seen it that way. Susie, so I guess maybe just one last quick question because uh, we need to wrap up. One minute on what is 6G? What, how is that going to be better than 5? So 6G, you know, if you look at the raw definition, 6G is also more capacity, better, stronger, faster, okay. <laughs> lower latency. Okay. Um, but um, 6G to to Qualcomm, and we, of course, are working on 6G Again, from a technical point of view, there's a lot of additional work being building on 5G's millimeter wave technology to get more capacity out of this limited spectrum. From a usage point of view, what we are really excited about is with those kind, with that kind of latency response time, that low of response time and those kinds of speeds and that kind of capacity coming together with artificial intelligence and human Human interfaces, human computer interfaces, I think is one of the really interesting areas that 6G is going to provide us. Sure, it'll provide us, you know, I I don't know how much faster you can download a a movie to your phone. But um, I, I see that as the use cases, but beyond the use cases, the user interfaces. For example, it takes a lot of processing power. It takes a lot of AI. It takes a lot of data to have interfaces that look at your eye motion 
you know, in order to make your, your device do something or your, your hand waving to make your device do something. And I think to our earlier point, I think as you get those kinds of incredible 6G speeds and capacity combined with AI, you can start to do some really, really interesting things in user interfaces that actually help people tremendously. Because we all have our own gripes about human computer interfaces. And I, I think that's what 6G could end up providing us even beyond, you know, what 5G is for factories and these other kinds of devices. Speaking of that, my daughter and I went for the first time to the local Amazon Fresh store here up in Bethesda. And uh, it's like 12G, I, I'm convinced. It's like, uh, you know, it was, it was that super smart card. It knew that I put peaches in. It was unbelievable. So I, I, I'm not really kidding. It was like, it was so amazing. My daughter and I were both mind blown. Like, this is the greatest thing ever. But it's the same kind of technology. It's wireless. It's not maybe 5G, but it's wireless. It's sensors. It's, it's AI, I'm sure. So you know, our, our patron saint at ITIF is Joseph Schumpeter, the famous innovation economist. And he had a great quote where he said, innovation is like an uncharted sea. In other words, you, you never, ever chart the entire sea. And 6G is a good example of that. It's it's going to be cool. It's going to be all, and there'll be all sorts of new things with it. So Susie, that was really a great conversation. I learned so much. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It was an honor to talk to you. And it's great to, great to actually be on the podcast. Thank you so much. And that's it for this week. If you liked it, please be sure to rate us and subscribe. Feel free to email show ideas or questions to podcast at itif.org. You can find the show notes and sign up for our weekly email newsletter on our website, itif.org, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at ITIFDC. There are more episodes and great guests lined up. New episodes drop every other Monday, so we hope you'll continue to tune in.